0: Monday morning edition of the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. That's what happens when you're in Las Vegas sometimes. We got a lot to get to today. Catch up on some of the signings that Avery Bradley trade was huge. Obviously, CJ Miles now in Toronto. So lots of that. We got to go through where every team stands as well some of the remaining free agents kcp now an unrestricted free agent market for him still has been tepid but first we'd like to say happy birthday to one of our loyal listeners ben nelson from dallas texas quick scouting report on ben he generally looks like a player particularly when he's wearing one of his trademark medium t-shirts however in terms of measurables a big red flag is ben's extremely
1: limited wingspan i am not sure i've ever seen a player with arms that short we've seen limited game film on ben but another thing i noticed is that his first step off the dribble is almost always a travel that might work on the playground but he's gonna need to clean that up if he wants to have a chance at the next level ben
0: we'll keep an eye on you thanks for the support and we hope that you have a great birthday all right i think the place we got to start here obviously danny is the boston trade i had predicted that it would be Marcus Smart who was traded. In fact, the trade was straight up Avery Bradley for Marcus Morris, not the player that we would have thought would go back. But that did, in fact, clear enough money for Gordon Hayward to be signed. How did you see this trade uh, from Boston's perspective?
1: The context of it made it so much more surprising to me from Boston's perspective. Detroit's we'll talk about afterwards, but from Boston, because to me, when you trade the number one pick for number three, and basically you commit to Isaiah Thomas as your Point guard of the present and the future. There's something specific that you need next to him. Ideally, somebody who can defend, you know, who can shoot a little bit off the ball. And they have a lot of good players still. I mean, this is a team now that's stacked at small forward, which is something that we basically do not see in the NBA. But I always expected that once they committed to Isaiah that Avery Bradley made sense because the, he was the only guy that they had that fit that and it's going to be very hard to get somebody like Avery Bradley moving forward because they won't have cap space and those guys are not necessarily available in the draft because it takes them a while to figure out the defensive end.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. If you look at the current roster now, you know, who is their best defender of point guards? Uh, you know, I guess it would be Marcus Smart, but then he's not really a two-way guy at this point, especially In the playoffs, you've got all these creators, Thomas, Gordon Hayward, there's all this spacing around them, they'd be very difficult to stop. And now if you don't have to guard Marcus Smart from three, that becomes a lot easier. And it's really, your other option would be Jalen Braun, who I still think, you know, has shown some flashes in the summer league, also has been disappointing at times in terms of his feel and I'm not sure that I want to have him guarding the best ones. I don't think he has that type of quickness. He's kind of foul prone as well. Maybe he can get there after a year. He did show significant improvement this year, but he still has a long, long way to go. So I think it's pretty clear to me that this makes them worse on the court this year. And we could talk about maybe what some of the other reasons for moving him rather than smart were. But the one advantage that they would tell you is that with Isaiah already and the fact that they want to play small with Horford at center a lot of the time they're just going to be too small uh, overall and that just having more height a little bit more switchability although Bradley was a guy who was a dog who would fight on those plays is just important to have more rebounding more ability to box out even though Bradley also improved his defensive rebounding last year so that that would be what they say I think a lot of this had to do with the idea that Bradley just didn't necessarily want to re-sign with the signing of Gordon Hayward, that maybe he was enjoying kind of being the second guy offensively and felt that he could grow into that role. And he certainly improved a lot offensively, but he's not really to that level if you want to have a really good team. And so maybe the thinking was, hey, this guy's not going to re-sign. Marcus Morris is under contract for another couple of years, and it allows us to clear the money as well.
1: Yeah, I think that has to be part of the logic. Just because you get that sort of stability in it, not only in terms of a player, but also financially. You know, because Smart's on not Smart, uh, Smart's on a reasonable contract for one year, but Marcus Morris is on one for two. So depending on what happens with everybody else and there certainly is an argument to be made and I will be one of the people making it that smart is going to be more reasonable financially next summer because restricted free agency is going to be crazy there are so few teams that have money so I think we could see the the bottom drop out on some of those guys in terms of their markets so they could be that way but to me when you have when you're a championship contender unless they just really felt that Avery Bradley was going to leave. And if they did, then there are other conversations that we can have. But at that point, before that point, you need to make sure that you're actually a championship contender. Because when they committed to Isaiah and Al Horford, we knew that their window was going to be shorter than it would have been otherwise. You know, If they had brought in Markel Fultz, if they had done some other things. And that's not to say that they're precluded from getting a point guard who's younger in their future. But when I look at their roster, I think the time is now. And If the time is now, you don't want to have weaknesses like the weaknesses that I think they have, specifically even against a team like Cleveland or Golden State, who, at least in the near term, those are the teams they're going to face.
0: Yeah, the other thing you could say too is maybe they play Hayward at the two, and then they would have if all these guys, two through four, who are like size, could throw Tatum and Jalen Braun in there. Uh, Tatum, we'll see whether he's even close to ready defensively once the the real games start. But with Crowder, Marcus Morris, and Gordon Hayward all playing together, that maybe at the two through four, that maybe your switchability there can make up for the fact that maybe not one of those guys particularly would be that great on ball. But if you're switching then you don't necessarily have to get over as many screens you know and that that obviously is pressuring the ball getting over screens on and off the ball that was always a a big strength of Avery Bradley's and smart still can do that as well it's just the the question of if smart Can actually start hitting shots, which I'm very skeptical of. Then my criticism in this trade basically goes away. I think Smart is nearly as good on the ball as Bradley, and better at switching due to his strength and really long wingspan for his size. But this is an interesting call. It's and one that it seemed like, as you said, they're prioritizing the present. And now I think they did make this move. Does weaken them as opposed to trading Smart and Smart. You know they probably would have his market supposedly was pretty tepid. And Morris, I think, will help them. That's actually something to discuss a little bit is is how he's going to fit in. I think we we haven't maybe thought about that enough. But I think Smart, you know, you probably would have to trade him for like a decent second rounder. Probably would have been it. Uh, And maybe they felt that that just wasn't getting as good of value as Avery Bradley. But, you know, it seems that neither of these guys had much in the way of trade value. And I think at least getting someone who can help them this year and you know, Morris is another guy who at least can be like semi-decent guarding LeBron James due to his size. Uh, so may- maybe that's the the thinking there. How do you think Morris fits in in Boston?
1: I think he fits in well as a piece of the overall puzzle, you know, that he can with all, he kind of fits in in the way that Jalen and Jason Tatum do where they can play more or less minutes depending on what they deserve, what their play warrants. And he's I think of him as more of a a 3-4. He's basically when in that morass in in Detroit. He became a starter reliably. Usually shoots in the mid-30s on threes, which is enough. You know, you'd love it if he was at like 38, but that's not usually possible. He did that one year with the Suns, but usually that's not who he is. You worry a little bit about his, uh, his rebounding, maybe because he didn't have great numbers, but he was playing next to Andre Drummond. And so there's this kind of idea that when you play with a dominant rebounder like Drummond, it just takes away a little bit from everybody else. So there could be overstating a deficiency. But I think one of the interesting things that he ties in with about this idea of switching and everything else is if Boston takes more of a team approach to defensive rebounding, that maybe that could work for their personnel. Because, you know, usually, especially with Al Horford at your center, which they won't do all the time, we also have to talk about the other move they made. But I think that doesn't usually work when you have more like a center and small forwards. But if you have three of them, I think that could actually work defensively. So they also signed Aaron Baines to the
0: Ruimake section. Baines, by the way, opting out of six million to six point five million to get four point three, but it is in a better situation. He he may Actually, started you. So, what do you think? You think they're going to start him? I think they probably are going to start him.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to start him and start Horford and then Gordon and probably Jay Crowder, I would assume, because I think Jay would like to be a starter.
0: Yeah, and then Thomas at the one. So, they'll have more size to start with. Baines, a solid rebounder. I mean, that's the one thing that he can contribute and that I think he really is above average. He likes to post up, but not a great finisher because he's pretty ground bound. You know, but he could duck in, get on the offensive glass, which is an element that they haven't had here I mean we've seen Ante Zizic now for I think five games for both of us and really he has not looked very good maybe he'll look better in a setting where he's not like trying to post up and do stuff because he can't do those things or and he can't shoot jumpers he's trying to uh explore the studio space and it turns out that that space is quite limited for him right now but I think he has not shown any indication that he's ready but the hope was that they could get someone more athletic someone who would give them an element of being able to roll down the lane some Vertical spacing, finishing, and shot blocking on the other end, but there were a limited number of those guys available. I mean, who who is left really? I actually still think that JaVale McGee would be a nice fit for them. I think we'd mentioned that and Willie Reed, but I don't know that either, either of those guys, I think they're just not deemed to be reliable enough to be a starter, which is maybe a fair assessment from a personality standpoint on both of those guys. So, Baines, it was, uh and I think Dwayne Dedman believed he was out of of their price range we'll see whether that's actually true i think that they'll probably still look to sign someone like Javale. maybe andrew bogut is still out there choosing someone all they've got left is minimums now, but someone who can provide some modicum of rim protection, but is you know more of a risky type of guy.
1: Yeah, maybe Jeff Withey could be an option there as well. And yeah, I mean, really, to me, what it comes down to is Deadman. And I think Deadman would have been a superior option, but it looks like that's not what he wanted. And, w- and when you reach that point, I mean, that's one of the most incredible things about this free agent market is you're like, oh, well, why'd they get Aaron Baines? And then you go, well, who should they have gotten instead? And it's a very thin market for that, especially, you know, Pachulia is off the board. He's not even necessarily what they would be looking for the rebounding part he absolutely can do um, and then, and he already resigned with the Warriors, obviously, and was probably functionally off the market. And then, so I mean, Tark Black doesn't fill that role really. I actually, I, I would have liked Tark
0: Black there, but but maybe maybe Black will just be uh, you know another one of these guys they could they could get for the moon. I think Black yeah, actually, uh, you know, I don't know if he's a, he's still a little undersized, but he at least can run the floor, get some vertical spacing, provide like that energy big element that I think they, they've kind of been lacking. But at least at least Baines could get in there and crack some heads, which they They haven't really even had that either. Set some good screens, which is important for Isaiah. Yeah, that's a a good point as well. Um, Let's talk about the Detroit aspect of this trade. Woo! Yeah, we we mentioned that they, of course, had hard capped themselves by signing Langston Galloway that augured that they and KCP were unlikely to come to an agreement because any kind of max offer for KCP. Mm -hmm. I will say this. They at least correctly predicted the market uh, on KCP that there was not a max out there for him, although maybe Philly, you know, who's paying JJ Redick one year, 23 million right now, wouldn't mind having it back. And and I tweeted about this that I think Philly should try to make whatever moves they can to get him on a long term offer also fellow clutch sports client ben simmons is ensconced there but we talk more about kcp at the end of the section when we go through the remaining free agents and potential suitors for them But for Detroit now, Bradley is installed as their starting two guard, who will play next to Reggie Jackson. Similar role
1: as KCP. Bradley, probably a better player than KCP last year. Would you say that or no? Yeah, I would. I would say he was better last year. I mean, KCP, I think it's a lot of it's about the potential. He's a lot younger. But I would say Bradley was better last year, sure.
0: Yeah, KCP, a little more size, but Bradley probably even more tenacity than KCP as well. Bradley shot a better percentage, but KCP, I would say more of a versatile jump shot. Um, he's taking harder attempts. He takes deeper attempts, uh, can do a little bit more off the dribble than Avery Bradley. Bradley, a better cutter, but you know Detroit doesn't have any passers, so that's probably going to be wasted <laughs> at this point. And we'll see. I mean, but... KCP can come off a pick and roll a little bit, which Bradley just doesn't have the handles and uh, vision to do. Maybe he's going to ask to be used in that role more. That's probably what he wants, but there's we've seen no evidence that he's capable of doing that so far in, in his career. But I, I think it's certainly a fair idea that this makes him better. He's only going to be, I think, 27 after this year. And they kicked the can down the road one year as far as like having to pay someone, so that they're out of the tax now. And for a guy in Stan Van Gundy who is under pressure to win this year the fourth year now of his regime and certainly didn't want to have to pay the luxury tax because if they had to pay the tax which they might have even without going over the apron to kcp and they won say 45 games which would be viewed i think as big progress getting back to the level that they were two years ago that would look good except you paid the tax and now all of a sudden that doesn't look as good to to your owner so i think for stan it was a good move but what do you think just overall for the pistons franchise because they also had to give up a valuable player in Marcus Morris in this deal. So you're essentially trading KCP and Morris for one year of Bradley
1: and Morris was under contract for another year too so you had control over KCP you had two years of Morris for one year Bradley and the prospect of having to overpay him because but he, the, the most interesting thing to me about this deal from their perspective is how bullsian their summer is so last year Chicago made a series of moves that in isolation each made sense and that together made zero sense <laughs> this year they used their lottery pick on Luke Kennard that's fine you know I, he, I have I haven't seen a ton of Orlando summer league but he looked pretty good from what I saw. They use their biggest uh, free agent asset. They're the non-taxpayer middle of exception what hard cap them on Langston Galway. You know, yeah. that's massive. Overpay, fit, I think, is,
0: I think by the way, and you see like, what the, yeah. the rest of the market is. I mean, I think there are a lot of free agents left who are going to get way less than that. And again, I mean, this idea of, Oh, we're in a bad market. So we have to overpay to get people to come here. That might be true to some degree, but number one, you should overpay for people who are really going to make a difference and who are going to help. Right? Like is John Luer? is he going to help that much in Detroit they they overpaid for him Boban like he's you know I guess he'll be the backup center but he's still available in in limited minutes Baines who they overpaid for a little bit he's gone now but uh limited their flexibility Ish Smith I don't think they actually did overpay for him and given what he was last year I mean he he was played better than Reggie Jackson so it's hard to criticize that signing necessarily uh but there are a lot of these signings where it's just all right we paid a little bit too much because it's so hard to get people to come here but I still think you got to have a little bit more discipline than that because that can lead to really overpaying for guys who don't move the needle for you. And those, I think, are the more damaging contracts. If you want to overpay for a guy who's like, all right, this guy is a solid starter, right? Like KCP would be that type of player to me where, okay, he's not a superstar by any means, but to get a guy who, who's 24, 25, a quality player, still improving, who you say, all right, you know, all right, yeah, we paid over 20 million for this guy, but at least we got the shooting guard position locked down for the next four years. Whereas a Langston Galloway, you know, especially because he's an older guy already, I don't think you're saying like, oh yeah, you know like we, we now we don't need a backup point guard and a backup too for sure you know we, we've solved this problem
1: right I think that's a good way of approaching it and also I would say that we talked about this at the time but the way they approached last offseason where they basically like hey let's get a couple of guys and then we'll pay we'll pay Andre Drummond and you know that that process is fine but I think they overpaid for the guys that they got before him and that led to just having one fewer let's say rotation player than they could have had otherwise and that depth is exceedingly important but I think the other element of this that I find genuinely fascinating is how this changes their forward rotation. So, you know, they were overstuffed with Tobias Harris, with Morris, with Lure and whether he's a center or a four is a question mark. And then Stanley Johnson was pretty marginalized. I think Stanley Johnson's going to start now.
0: Yeah, I guess that's probably true. Right alongside uh, Tobias Harris. And I mean, I I do think that a team who's starved for offense, Marcus Morris, his ability to isolate a little bit, although that's not something you want him doing on a good team all the time, was at least something that was helpful on their second unit some. Um, And maybe they won't even start uh, Tobias Harris still. Maybe it'll just be Lure who starts. He started a lot uh, last year also uh, in somewhat maddening fashion because Tobias Harris is better than him. And you've got Drummond as a rebounder, hopefully. So, yeah, I mean, I guess this this is going to be the make or break for Stanley Johnson. And while I really like Stanley in the draft, I think that physically he has a lot of special attributes in terms of his strength and quick feet on offense he just hasn't made shots well enough and if he's not going to do that and if he's going to take some bad shots you know he hasn't really been successful running pick and rolls or getting into the lane finishing which he's going to need to do a little bit on this team because they got to have somebody else who can attack off the dribble maybe that'll be Tobias Harris if he starts but you know I'm not sure Stanley is ready I hope he gets there I I was high on him as a prospect but for again what's looking like a make or break year it'll be very interesting to see whether Johnson is up to it because uh Stan Van Gundy is betting on him and this is a guy who you know he was so frustrated with the times that he took him completely
1: out of the rotation last year yeah and the other option would be that they can Start Harris at the three, John Wall at the four, and Drummond at the five. And another unusual circumstance where going big actually makes them better shooting, but that's just the way it works out.
0: Yeah, and, and we we talked already about Galway Pistons. Also signed Eric Moreland, who a guy I'm not as familiar with. Haven't had a chance to watch Orlando Summer League yet, but apparently played well for their entry there. And uh, Moreland three year deal for the minimum five hundred thousand guaranteed this year, so not a, a huge commitment. But uh give you a little bit more on, on him once we do our summer league prospect review. Anything else you want to say on Detroit before we move on?
1: No, I think that's a pretty good summary of it. And well, I'll say this. I think that considering where the rest of the East is, they're probably going to be a playoff team this year. So you could so Stan Van will probably spin that as vindication. But then they will be harder to keep this team together. Yeah, and maybe it was possible
0: that just they said, hey, KCP, his salary demands, we're just not going to be able to pay that over the long term, and that maybe they felt they could get Bradley for cheaper. Maybe there even were some initial discussions with Bradley and his agent about what he was going to want next year that they thought they could deal with, and Bradley is more established than KCP. So so maybe that's the thing. It'll be very interesting to see whether he sticks around next summer because to have a year from now, no Morris, no Bradley, and no KCP would certainly be a, a difficult pill to swallow. I will right, we'll move on here, but first this from Bull and Branch. I'm in Vegas right now. I am not sleeping on my Bull and Branch sheets, and I miss them. They're the best sheets that I have ever slept on. And since they sell exclusively online, you don't pay that expensive retail markup half the price, twice the quality for these amazing sheets. And if you're someone who's buying sheets, I've always found that process to be rather frustrating. You go to the store, maybe you can like kind of touch it a little bit in like that weird plastic bag that has the cardboard in it, but it's like stretched so taut you can't even really get an idea of what it would be to sleep on it says that it's like 97,000 thread count. Is thread count, is that some sort of objective measure of how comfortable the sheets are? You know, I've paid for a lot when I thought that, oh yeah, it's thread count, that's going to make a difference. I didn't really find that to be the case. Is the fact that it's Egyptian cotton somehow better than cotton from other, other places, I haven't found that to be the case either. So uh, I love uh, these sheets though, and Bull and & Branch thinks that, that you will also, just as the thousands of five-star reviews have shown, New York Times, Wall Street Journal have raved about them. Three U.S. presidents have ball and branch sheets. And you have to take any of those people's word for it because you can try them for 30 nights free and see for yourself. If you're not impressed, return them for a full refund. The way to get started with them, ball and branch, B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code CAPSPACE, that familiar CAPSPACE code that we talk about all the time here on the program. Bull and branch, B O L L and promo code CapSpace. That'll get you fifty dollars off plus free US shipping right now at bullandbranch.com. Promo code CapSpace.
1: Ah, where shall we turn our wandering eye next, Danny? I think Toronto is the next place. So Toronto did two significant moves during the time that we haven't recorded. The f- and they happened in surprisingly quick succession, which actually makes sense when you think sure. about the context. So they are in this weird holding pattern because they made a trade with the Brooklyn Nets, who do not yet have cap space, but will soon have cap space. For So they traded Damari Carroll, a future first-round pick, which seems like it's a lottery-protected, They're 2018 lottery-protected. We don't know how it moves beyond that. I haven't seen it yet. And a second-round pick for Justin Hamilton, who they are already planning to wave and stretch, even though they have not yet acquired him.
0: <laughs> That's always got to be comforting. Hamilton making $3 million this year. Carroll fourteen point eight this year, fifteen point four next year. That price. What do you think of that price to basically get off of? You know, Carroll's contract is thirty million over the next two years. Hamilton three. So. It, Getting off at twenty seven million, basically with Carroll, I don't know if he's necessarily dead money. If you view him as totally dead money, then I think that's fair to say that this is a reasonable deal—a first and a second for about that. But I think Carroll can still play to some degree. I mean, he definitely has fallen off, but I think he has looked worse trying because you know he's just not well cast to guard LeBron James and some of the bigger combo forwards in the playoffs but he still shoots okay on threes he can't do anything at all inside the arc it's reasonable enough a defender can shoot it a little bit play a little three a little four so i wouldn't say he's totally dead money but i mean is that a reasonable price to you to pay to get off of that salary get below the tax and also then create some room to acquire miles
1: i think it was a little a little rich for me just because i think carol can play he's more of a rotation player than a starter at this point especially on a good team but rotation players at at the three and at the four, you know, he can bounce between the two, still have value. And I don't know exactly what he would have gotten on the market this year. And I think it's certainly fair to say that considering how tepid it is for a lot of these guys that, you know, like Rudy Gay, I would say right now is even even with the Achilles. I mean, I think that Rudy Gay, you could make an expectation that he will be better next year than Damari Carroll and and Gay took, you know, probably about half of Carroll's salary, I think, would be a fair way to to characterize it. But he does have something to offer, and I think that he's a nice fit for Brooklyn who can do what they want this year. It doesn't really matter. They don't have their own pick. And I I was thinking at the time... And even more today about how he would have made some sense for Sacramento instead of the way that they're spending their money on veterans. It's like, hey, get a veteran, get somebody who yeah, fits in with the culture. He would be way better than do. anyone they have at the three right now. I think. I mean, it, right. Vince Carter then, played well last then, year,
0: but he's forty years old. He can't play more than like fifteen or twenty minutes a game.
1: And then instead of that, you get an asset too. So like if 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 they would have gotten, you know, maybe oh we don't need the second, we'll just take the first, like something like that. I think that would have been better for them than spending a ton on Zebo and Vince in particular. So you can go in that direction and you know usually if another team should have made the move that means that it's reasonable for Brooklyn and the other element of it that I like for the Nets is that it doesn't other than maybe KCP which I think they could probably figure out a way to do if they really really wanted to is that they still have a lot of options this year and then but they have even more next year you know like because they just had so much cap space that they can do it. And I think Ken Atkinson has experience with Carroll back in Atlanta, and I think he knew what he could bring. So I think they see this as less dead money than Toronto did, which is notable considering he was Toronto's guy. Yeah. But By the way, I if I can break in for a while, I mean, that
0: kind of thinking can be dangerous. Be coaches, oh, yeah. coaches, especially because coaches are not good at like players and coaches are not really good at understanding the effect of the aging curve and injuries they're just like oh yeah I coached this guy three years ago this is what he is and yeah I mean if he were the player that he was three years ago in Atlanta then you know this trade would have never been made he would he would still be on Toronto because he'd still be be really good so I mean I think and I'm sure that their front office doesn't necessarily think that way but I think a lot of times coaches be like oh yeah I, I coached this guy before he's the same guy and not just mentally be able to account for the fact that you know they're really diminished not saying that's, that's what Kenny Atkinson is doing here. I don't know what his thinking is. But just in general, that's something that you'll see a lot, Doc Rivers.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a very good point. And from Toronto's perspective, I think you can look at these in concert. And so the other move they made, let's let's line it up now, is that they traded Corey Joseph, who was on a—he a, had a one-year deal worth a little bit under $8 million, And then he had a, a player option for next year, which we both expect that he will decline. And they moved him in a sign-in trade for C.J. Miles. The Miles contract has been reported— as is three years, $25 million with a player option on the third year, that is actually impossible because a sign-and-trade has to have three years not including an option, but that could just be a reporting issue. Like It could be awfully close to that, but just some way, one way or the other, and we'll see when it actually gets consummated, which as I said, it can't get consummated until realistically, until Brooklyn gets their space. And so the way Toronto could be seeing this, and I think this is probably the way Masai was pitching it to ownership, is... Hey, yeah, we are giving up a first-round pick, but we're getting a good player on a reasonable contract who fits in with what we're trying to do. And now we're below the luxury tax. And that's, you know, that's a pretty impressive double to do. And yeah, it did cost them a first-round pick. Toronto, I mean, their first-round pick isn't going to be terrible, but it isn't going to be amazing either. You know, probably early, mid-20s, you know, something in that range, probably early 20s. So... I, I broadly get it. It's, it's a challenge that you, that you deal with, you know, like when some people conflate GM with entire front office. Like if he had a mandate, if Masai had a mandate to get below the tax, I think these moves are very impressive. If that mandate didn't exist, maybe less so, but I have to assume that it did. Yeah, I think Carroll can still play, and he, he would have helped them this year. Getting miles
0: does make up for that a little bit. I mean, their wing depth was looking really ugly at that point. I mean, number one, you're going to be starting Norman Powell essentially at the three because we know DeRozan can't really guard some of the best wings, and Powell's, it's too small to do that. But I think we're moving into a new era now in Toronto where they've realized that they aren't going to beat the Cavs, and so that kind of matters less than just having a team that's going to be a quality team for the next couple of years. And maybe if somehow everyone is still looking amazing, they can try and trade for someone who, who again, could be maybe some sort of a LeBron stopper. Or maybe they hope, like, Pascal Siakam could get there or something. But pretty unlikely. They are, with 14 players, a little bit over the tax right now. But... I think we could see some tax avoidance moves, whether it's just trading away. Bruno Copacolo is making $2.5 million this year, stretching him. That could be a way to get there. Siaka, maybe if they decide they're ready to, to move him, they could dump a, a little bit. He's making the minimum this year, although he was drafted in the first round. That was just the adjustment to his salary. Hamilton is going to be stretched. So they're actually, I said they're $2 million over. I, I haven't accounted for the stretch yet because that news came down. So they're pretty much right there. I think if they moved on from Caboclo, they could get there. They still would have to get uh, another player or two. But they'll find a way probably if teams that are that close to the tax generally figure out a way to not pay it. Although I'm not seeing, because they're going to be relying on Deion. Right now, as a backup point guard, I'm not seeing an obvious guy that they could move move on from because one of these guys that's making the minimum I guess Valanchunas would be the obvious target there. Or, or maybe Bebe is making 2.9 if uh, Jakub Pertl is able to emerge a little bit more. He'll he'll probably, you would imagine, be the backup center. So, uh, Toronto, I, I think getting miles is useful. Having a guy on the wing, not really a great defender, but he's okay and at least a quality shooter to replace what they had in Terrence Ross a couple years ago, which is an element I think they missed a little bit in the playoffs. So, so they'll be okay. One thing that I didn't really get, though, is it's unlikely now that they will have room, because they're hard capped and, and they're about $6 million below the hard cap right now. It's unlikely they would have room to use their full mid-level exception. They also don't really have anyone in terms of draft picks. I don't think that like they're they need to sign to a four-year deal. They didn't get any value for Corey Joseph. Was there really nothing out there where they could have just said, all right, we're going to trade Corey Joseph into somebody's cap space, at least get like a second rounder or something for him. Maybe, I mean, a first rounder may have been unrealistic when you see what the market was for Smart and Bradley that, you know, I think Boston probably would have taken a first for Smart if they could have gotten it and that wasn't out there. So it probably would have been like, stuck. but at least get something for the guy and then just sign C.J. Miles to this contract using your full mid-level exception instead.
1: Right. And it's it's such a strange move from that perspective in terms of use of resources because, yeah, they they had their mid-level exception. doesn't look like they're going to use it. They also had trade exceptions from the Damari Carroll trade that they could have used. So it's not, they weren't sitting there going the only way to make this work is to trade to trade Corey Joseph for C.J. Miles. There were a series of other ways. And it's possible that the failings of that are actually on other teams. That's certainly possible. But it's hard to know that. And it seems like Corey Joseph should have had some value. I mean, he's on a a team-friendly contract. Even if he opts out of that year, he still has bird rights. We don't know what the market's going to be like for kind of fringe backup point guards next year. And I mean, Indiana now. I think they're in a better place from a point guard perspective than they than they were. We can make an argument or a discussion about whether that makes sense for them and whether they're kind of pushing for no good reason. But Joseph and Collison is an, is a worthwhile combination, and both those guys are basically only under under contract for one year because Joseph can opt out, and Collison has a partial guarantee for next year.
0: Yeah, I think uh, if Orlando was going to sign shelved Mack, although it turns out that that second year. I think is partially guaranteed. I don't know if we've gotten like full clarity on how yeah. much yet. But yeah, I
1: think it. I think it's lighter, more lightly guaranteed than I thought, but I don't remember the number.
0: Yeah, and also Joseph valuable because t- a team might have his bird rights to re-sign him, but a team like. I guess San Antonio wouldn't quite have been able to, to fit him in, but I certainly would have liked him more as a solution in Sacramento than signing George Hill for as much as they did. It's like Joseph would have been perfect as kind of like a bridge starter for one of these young point guard teams as well. The Knicks, he would have been a great fit there, you know, if they hadn't spent all their money on, on Tim Hardaway Jr., which uh, newsflash, big surprise, Atlanta did not, in fact, uh, match that completely <laughs> ridiculous offer sheet for him, which we can talk about a, a little bit more. But but yeah, you, you started talking about Indiana. Where does this leave
1: them next year? Well, so I mean, also they signed we can we can talk about their other move now. They after Washington rescinded the qualifying offer for Bohan Bogdanovich, they signed him to a two year twenty-one million dollar deal, which includes a partial guarantee on the second year. So probably similar to Collison's deal. We don't know if the partial guarantees will be the same. So what they're going for, for better or for worse, is they're going to try to be a fringe playoff team. And it's very possible that they could actually pull it off in the East just because the bottom of the East is so bad. I have to really go through. We also need to see what happens with the rest of the teams there, you know, to see whether anybody else can get more competitive. But I mean, my frustration there is just that that seems like such a strange use of resources, but it's also the type of thing that happens so much in the NBA when ownership or general manager or whoever just isn't willing to do to make the hard decision. So they, you know, they're going to start, presumably, they're going to start either Collison or Joseph, Victor Oladipo, Bojanovic, and then they kept Thaddeus Young, who I think they could have gotten something for in a trade, because he's on basically a one-year deal, and he's useful, and then Miles Turner. It's like, that's not terrible, yeah. and their depth isn't amazing, but the question is kind of like, what are you getting from this? Like, you're you're definitely worsening or weakening your draft pick, which is the next way to, the way to find the next Paul George is not to be on the fringe playoffs and pray that you get a guy at 15. Like, that's not going to work. Yeah, so, they've
0: done it before uh which i, I think is not necessary sure. but not necessarily to say that that they could do it again i think yeah young my approach obviously after losing george would have been well number one i would have traded george for for draft picks not for a guy making 20 million a year who's probably not worth his salary that would have been my first approach and then i would have gotten the take on bad contracts young definitely would have traded him he's an interesting potential opt-in opt-out do 14 million next year we'll see what the market looks like it's possible he may just opt into that joseph can opt out as well i mean i think joseph and Collison. At least they have good depth at point guard. They have uh, and they have great depth at backup point guard <laughs> on the team. Uh, but you know, Collison has probably has been one of the thirty best point guards in the NBA the last few years, uh, and Joseph probably close to that as well. Though shooting is an issue, the three is going to be an open sore for them. They're starting Bogdanovich there, I would have much preferred they get someone who can defend at least a, a little bit. I don't. I think their defense is going to be pretty bad on this team now, especially Nate McMillan has not exactly shown sure that defensive wizardry in his career and they took a massive step back last year and they're losing one of the best wing defenders in George Boyan at the three is, is going to be a tire fire Oladipo has not succeeded in any kind of a, a stopper role and they've got Sabonis coming off the bench now at the four he's not necessarily that great either Glenn Robinson the third maybe Glenn Robinson the third will start and, and they'll bring Boyan off the bench that might be what they do as well just to get a little more defense in the starting lineup but yeah you know I mean this team is like just good enough to get the 10th pick maybe i don't know about the playoffs and but again this is not official prediction we got to really go through it as you said but this is one of these oh this market can't deal with it they can't handle a rebuild but the nba system is set up economically and again i'm not in the business office i'll try to ask around about this type of stuff a little bit more but especially if you're one of these teams that can just take on salary at the end of the year and you can't save as much by being below the minimum salary as you used be able to be for for most of the year but you're getting revenue sharing if you have you know a salary that's 10 million below the cap for for most of the year then you take on some bad money at the end just by keeping payroll down a little bit rebuilding can also help you there so yeah your revenue might be lower because your team isn't that good but at least you're not spending as much either and then you can actually get a decent pick or two. I mean, even one year of this, they, just to use a lot of this cap space next year. Now, next year, they should be okay if they want to move on uh, from Boyan, if they want to move on from Darren Collison. Young opts out. Corey Joseph opts out. It'll be very interesting to see where they end up. Uh, Al Jefferson is only $4 million guaranteed. They have all these contracts that are like, you know, $4 million guaranteed, $2 million guaranteed. We don't know exactly where it is on, on Boyan yet. Collison is $2 million guaranteed next year. But they could have just a, a ton of space, even with the Corey Joseph's capital. If they take that off, and they're looking at like $59 million in space next year. So at least the one thing that they did that I like is they didn't lock themselves into any kind of really long-term money here. And that's helpful. And perhaps, you know, we'll see where they are at this point next year. It's just, if you're not going to lock in for any kind of long-term money it's just like you're not going anywhere this year you're probably not going to even make the playoffs even with these signings so why not just like be a little bit worse and and develop some young guys a little bit although they really you know see what Sabonis can do just to give Oladipo the keys let him almost be like your point guard in some ways um but it, but they I will say this too they did very well to just get Corey Joseph for nothing right like CJ Miles is leaving as a free agent like they just got right. a guy who's pretty good and, and Joseph might be flipping. At the deadline, Collison might be flippable. Bogdanovich might be flippable. All these guys, maybe they could move it, and perhaps it'll turn out that if they're out of the playoffs, they'll actually be able to get something for their cap space by just having rented some of these guys and then maybe moving them. None of those guys are going to get a first round pick out of anybody, probably, but yeah, you get a few more seconds, especially because they are limited with their second. They have like that weird protected second. That can only go if it's in like the top fifteen, which it will be this year probably. But they've been kind of limited in trading seconds, so getting some more of those could be useful.
1: Let's see. Where, where do you where do you want to go from here? We can do some. We could do some quick ones. You want to do some quick ones? Yeah, yeah.
0: Washington. Obviously, the way that Boyan was able to sign in Indiana was they withdrew his qualifying offer. This is another one of those tax avoidance moves from a small market team, where. They had his full bird rights. There's nothing other than the tax preventing them from keeping him. They traded for him in part because he was a restricted free agent and in part because they had full bird rights on him. And then Porter, once they matched him officially, which has now occurred, they had to let Boyan go and they really don't have much of a way to replace him. And they're looking right now, Washington is at about $2 million over the tax. We'll see where they go now. But they're really pretty much down to minimums because they used their BAE at the time, but then they're now transferring that into the taxpayer MLE on Jody Meeks with that two-year... 6.7 6.7 million dollar contract still think they might have been able to do a little bit better there someone who would help more be able to to be a guy on the wing who defends a little bit i think that was one of, another one of that and Langston galloway are both ones where i thought the teams kind of struck a little bit early but misread things a little bit and, and i think we'll see guys who are better than galloway and Meeks signed for what those guys signed for respectively but you have to imagine washington basically done now except for minimums they do only have 12 people on the roster but could depending on what happens with Sheldon McClellan and Daniel Ochefu, if they have those guys they're at 14 and maybe they'll make one more minimum signing and, and that'll be probably about it for their summer. And they'll, they'll be a little bit into the tax, uh, but not a ton. And then maybe at the trade deadline, we'll see them try and get off of Jason Smith's money. Or if Sadoransky isn't necessarily in the rotation, someone like that, there's always Jan Mahimi's money sitting out there as well, potentially, although that would take much more to move since he's making, uh, 16 million the next three years each year
1: last night also Phil, uh, phoenix re- uh, finally agreed to re-sign Allen williams at pretty much the terms that we had heard about a week ago three years 17 million we'll have to see if there's any fun stuff on the end of that deal but i think that's a reasonable price for him
0: yeah and i was actually sitting directly behind Allen williams yesterday for the phoenix dallas game and he was uh yelling at the refs and encouraging the players so it seemed pretty likely he'd been doing that all summer league pretty likely that he was going to return and they did in fact get things finalized what do you think of that deal for Phoenix?
1: I think it's fine. I mean, they certainly like what they have in him. He's more of a, a backup big than anything else, but they're paying him five million a year. That's a fine backup big price. And I wonder what this means for Alex Len, who has a huge cap hold, but I don't think there's a huge market for him. So where they go with all that, I, I, I'm fine with this. I don't think that he's a game a game changer just because I want to see more rim protection out of him. He is a wonderful rebounder, and so I, I think he can fill that role. So I'm good with it, but I don't love it
0: yeah you would hope maybe they could get him for a little bit cheaper because this is kind of true backup center money and while Williams's production in the box score has been impressive he still is limited defensively I don't think you said you'd like to see more rim protection out of him I don't know that that's necessarily ever going to be forthcoming he's one of these guys who could be fine as a traditional backup center but if you're really trying to have a good team you probably want to have someone with a little bit more versatility there as well so this is seems like a slight overpay to me when they had restricted rights on him but you know maybe he was just like hey I'll take the qualifier offer again but then he still because it's only his second year he would have been restricted again next year so this is okay phoenix now once he is a small hold, so they still have about 25 million in room depending on what they want to do with some of their non guarantees like elijah Millsap. but williams once the season starts will take them down to about 20 million in room and that's just fine i, I don't they're not really planning on using that anytime soon i, I don't think so they are going to have him at least this gives him a little bit of leverage over Alex Len we'll see if he returns I mean I think Len seems to me like he's kind of headed for the qualifying offer because I don't see any way that he's going to take less than 10 million a year and I certainly don't see any way that Phoenix is going to offer him more than 10 million a year I sure hope they don't we'll put it that way
1: A couple other quick hitters. Raymond Felton signed for what looks like the minimum with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think he's a meaningfully better backup point guard than they had all of last year, so that's important. I think he's a a nice fit, and you know they needed somebody like him last year and I think that'll work out
0: yeah Felton as you'll recall played you know like 20-25 minutes a game and it was okay last year he was okay in 20-25 minutes a game against the Jazz I should say and is okay age 33 always a question with him just like what type of shape is he going to be in you know when he's more svelte he's more effective but yeah as someone who could just be a reasonable backup point guard solution for a guy who is going to sign for the minimum I think that he was about as good as out there on the market he's also like strong enough that he can switch a little bit he can has fought harder defensively so I think yeah this is a a good signing The Samaje Kristen show will be over. And a key signing to me, especially now with Felton and then presumably Paul George will be staggered a little bit with Westbrook, now their backup unit shouldn't be nearly as hopeless as they were a year ago. And with the addition of George, obviously their starters are, are more formidable. But also just excising those... I mean, Russell Westbrook, remember, was only playing 34, 35 minutes a game. That's one thing that he deserved a lot of credit for. And they were just so bad in those 13 minutes a game that he didn't play. Getting rid of that is and george will help with that is nearly as important as the upgrades that they made to their starters over the course of the season so i think you know okc is looking to me like a pretty solid 50 win type of team although it is important to remember that they're basically starting from the level of a 500 team because their point differential was so bad last year and they're so good slash lucky in close games uh where should we go next
1: we talked a little bit about Shelvin Mack, but we should just kind of give out the actual terms. Two years, $12 million with the Magic. I was cracking wise over the time between then and when it was announced that there was a partial guarantee about how the amazing thing about Orlando is that they keep on signing these backup point guards, but they always sign them to multi-year deals, C.J. Watson... <sighs> <laughs> DJ Augustine and Shelvin Max, so they always overlap. But if he's really on a one-year deal, he still overlaps with Augustine because Augustine's getting paid for another three years. Good Lord. And he's fine. You know, I think that's a, a reasonable price for him, especially with the partial guarantee on the second year. And I mean, they're just paying so much money to back up guard, but you can't blame them for wanting somebody better than DJ Augustine.
0: Yeah, and the fact that there's this non-guarantee, usually we don't know what it is yet, but generally any partial guarantee is going to be less than half of the salary. My initial note was that it's written in the league constitution that Orlando must overpay one backup point guard per year down there in the fine print. But nonetheless, I think Watson, for that price, one year, uh, second year, I mean, they may want to keep it around too if they move on from Augustin. CJ Watson presumably will be waived, possibly stretched as of, July tenth. So I'm surprised we haven't. Has that actually happened yet? I guess that's today. So so we'll we'll see where that happens. But with him do five million that guarantees as of today, and one million if he's not waived. I would suspect, given his injury issues, that he almost certainly will be waived. And then Mac at least has some versatility to play more at the two defensively because he's stronger than compared to someone like Augustin. We'll see though. I mean, one of those guys is going to be the odd man out presumably Peyton well, so will still be the starter.
1: My big beef with this is I think it was a poor use of resources because they had this one pool of money of about, I think it was 11, 12 million that they had. And you could get a pretty yeah. solid F- rotation F- player. I had, them
0: at, I had them at 14.5 before. 14.5. They could so have gotten
1: to. Like that, you can get a, a quite solid rotation player for that. And depending on what they do with their extensions with Aaron Gordon and Alfred Payton, doesn't look like they're going to have space next year. So combine that into one guy who's pretty good or even very good. I think you're going to make a much bigger difference than having a better backup point guard
0: yeah i wouldn't have minded and they still have some money left about eight million or so now wouldn't have minded them taking a chance on a shabazz mohammed type of guy someone who can score a little bit that's really what i think they need a lot of i think mike dunleavy actually although he's he's wouldn't have taken that much money would be a really nice fit there just as someone who moves the ball can shoot pass open the floor up a little bit getting someone who can defend on the wing might have been nice as well and they have a lot of these shooting guards who ross Fournier who aren't really great defenders and so it might have been nice to get one more guy in there who's kind of a combo forward give them what Jeff Green was supposed to give them last year and they probably still have enough money to do that i'm not really sure at this point that there was anyone out there danny who even is going to command a 15 million salary even for one year you know, maybe cj miles but he's redundant already with fortney and ross so like who else is out there i I know you made that statement and this doesn't seem like a great move in a vacuum but you know i'm not really sure who else they were getting that 15 million would have been necessary at this point
1: right it would have been a challenge and the other option well i had originally argued that gallinari would have been a fun fit there just because yeah. he meshes They didn't have with the them. space for him. Exactly. Gallinari yeah. ended up getting more money than I thought. So that's out of... Something they could have done was instead of signing somebody, trading for somebody on contract, like the Damari Carroll deal for them yeah. could have made some sense. It's imperfect. Yeah, I he mean, could have helped
0: them, I think, actually.
1: Yeah. You're, you're dealing with imperfect options, I mean, with pretty much everybody. And that's, that's always the challenge. But... Going in that direction, or even taking on a contract for for an asset, something in in that realm, I think, could have been useful yeah. for them. It's, but it's but not perfect. Maybe, I mean, maybe not, a, there's no silver bullet here. Yeah, or maybe like a, an
0: offer sheet for like Nikola Miritich or something, since they're going to be kept out for a little bit here. It might have been something they could have thought of as well. I and mean, presumably they tried to get in on Kelly Olenek I don't know whether they did or not. I, I liked him, but I mean that that's still they have all these centers. My plan was always, hey, let's move Vucevic for nothing, but there that's not something that maybe even was possible to do and now it's far too late to do that in terms of who else is available also we mentioned miritich casey johnson reporting that the bulls and miritich are believed to be about five million dollars apart in their contract negotiations if i just had to ballpark it i guess the bulls are offering him 10 million a year and he wants 15 million a year that would probably be my guess so we'll see where that ends up that is still in a stalemate right now he does at least have a reasonably large qualifying offer which is 125 percent of what he made last year. So that's to his advantage and maybe you know if he takes that it's not the end of the world for him. He might get a chance to to play a little bit better this year especially with Taj Gibson gone although he could be pushed by Portis and Markin. Where else do we want to go?
1: Let's do some Palace intrigue. We've waited long enough. Oh no no, the, the... Pistons don't play there anymore. <laughs> well done. So almost exactly what you predicted a couple days ago ended up happening so beyond Mills not showing up what? at the um, Tim Hardaway Jr presser, which I find amusing to no end the, um David Griffin had talked to them about their position. he expressed that he wanted some control over a lot of the holdovers the kind of the people that have been just through these Dolan and through the different administrations under Dolan Alan Houston being one of them, and Dolan said no, so. Griffin is out.
0: Yeah, and he was going to have to work under Mills as well. Presumably, they would have paid him a lot of money, which would have been nice, but I I applaud Griffin for not just taking the money, as some would say that Phil Jackson did. Uh, I mean, as you recall, Phil wanted to bring in his own guys as well. He wanted to overhaul the medical staff, which he wasn't allowed to do. He wanted to bring in uh, Alex McKechnie from Toronto, whom he had worked with in L.A., and McKechnie wasn't interested in doing that because he would have had to work below somebody else in the organization, according to Frank Isola. And by the way, I, I'm not considering myself a genius for saying that this is going to break down with Griffin because uh, there are certainly many Knicks watchers who could have made the, the same prediction that if he wanted to, you know, actually be the one who's able to make decisions, as Zach Lowe said, uh, that he would, would not be interested. And we'll see who they end up getting. Maybe it'll just be Steve Mills. There aren't a, a ton of other candidates out there at this point, it, it seems like. And Griffin now is probably going to just do some TV. It was said he doesn't have any other options, it, it's believed at this point. And we'll see whether he ends up landing somewhere as someone with full power i mean i think he really wants to be president of basketball operations wants to have a good working relationship with an owner which is what uh ramona shelburne and, and woge reported but i'm not sure that i see that i mean phoenix is another one where he's not going to go back there he things ended poorly with robert sarver the first time around and i don't necessarily see any other impending gm openings so many have been filled this offseason. One other thing in New York, obviously, they have Tim Hardaway now, that four year, $71 million offer. You made the point yesterday that they probably didn't need to sweeten it as much as they did, but when you misjudge the market so badly as to think that that's a good contract to begin with, you're probably going to misjudge it enough that you throw in the sweeteners that you didn't need to keep the other team from
1: matching. Right. And the other point that I wanted to make about the sweeteners that frustrated me with the Otto Porter deal is that one of the ways that, or not with, not with the Otto Porter deal, with this one, is that giving him a player option is actually a really big mistake because one of the ways that this deal actually could work out is if he outperforms expectations that you get that fourth year. You know, I don't expect him to be so good that that contract's a bargain. But now if it works out really well, he takes off that third year or he takes off after that third year and he's an unrestricted free agent. You do have full bird rights. So either you overpay him or do that. So it's kind of a, you know, it, it negates the best case scenario. It sort of reminds me of what with why I didn't like the Rajon Rondo to the King's side. To move was because, you know, even if it works out, it doesn't work out.
0: One thing that we've seen both for Porter and Tim Hardaway. Brooklyn, New York, big market teams taking advantage of a clause. Basically, the way that the CBA works in terms of payment schedules is, is that you can get up to 25% of your contract due on July 1st every year. Or in this case, it'll be basically you know exactly when he signs it. Uh, and then you can get another 25% of your salary advanced uh, by oct- October 1st on October 1st. So 50% of your salary due by October 1st, especially for some lower revenue teams, that actually like drives the business people insane. They really don't like those deals. And I've been saying for a long time, Carmelo Anthony has a similar clause in his contract the Knicks sure that Nick can afford it. I've been saying for a long time that teams that have higher revenue should really offer this to like most free agents, most restricted free agents. And that that is an advantage that they can get i mean obviously there's a time value of money and so we're seeing that in this case who knows whether in washington decided to buck up and they're gonna have to deal with that now uh, but and i don't think that was an issue necessarily with the hawks not matching because it was a ludicrous offer sheet but i think that is something that we will see see more of going forward now especially just because there's so much tv money out there and some of these teams are, are so flush or just feel like you know they have some money left over from the previous year or whatever it is especially for a team that's not necessarily in the tax uh talk about Miami now. We said that we probably thought they were going to manage to get everyone in, and they did through some ingenious cap accounting. So... The way that signings work, and this is something that actually is is kind of a bad loophole, but the way that signings work is when you must have cap room for the entirety of a player's salary, likely and unlikely bonuses at the time that you sign him, right? So let's say Dion Waiters. I would imagine, we don't know what his bonuses are yet, but I would imagine that they are something along the lines of play one more game than he played last year, which was like 43 games or something like that. So that would be considered an unlikely bonus because he didn't do it last year. And so he's got maybe you know a million or whatever it is in unlikely bonuses so you need the cap room to add that in. So if let's say he's making, you know, he's got 11 million base salary, a million unlikely bonuses that he's probably gonna hit though, but he's, it's not accounted for that way. When you sign him, you need the full 12 million. However, once he has signed, then his cap number goes down to 11 million because of those unlikely bonuses. And then with Kelly Olenek, with James Johnson, they're able to kind of do the same trick to where, all right, we have the room to sign him, we sign him. But then once we sign him, his number goes down by the amount of the unlikely bonuses. And a lot of those guys, like Olenek is another one, right? Like if they're planning on starting him, he didn't start hardly any games last year. So they'll say, okay, if you start 20 games or something, we'll give you this unlikely bonus. I think that's more than he started last year in Boston. And so they're in a situation where they could basically be offering these guys a million dollars more, whatever it is, than their cap number. And that's how they fit all these dudes in and were able to keep Wayne Ellington.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really impressive. And you're right that it's a loophole that should be corrected in some way shape or form it just doesn't make sense like why why are you making it making it function in that way and also yeah. just as, I mean I-, I think in future if you're
0: talking about like it should be for the year that you sign, you should count for the entirety of your likely and unlikely bonuses. In future years, all right, if you don't make it, then, yeah, you can count them as yeah, unlikely. Yeah, then you change they the assumptions. Right.
1: Especially when teams do the this stuff where they make it an unlikely likely bonus, where it's you know it's just right. it's just unlikely based on context. Right, because so he's some... going
0: to a new team, too. You're not even in the same context. Whereas, you know, when you're determining likely or unlikely and you're on the same team as last year, you know, it kind of makes more sense, which usually if a guy sends a multi-year deal, he would be.
1: Right. Um, And one thing for clarification— James Johnson, there was the, a weird question about what, what was happening with his fourth year. It, Sam Amick reported that it is a player option, not in fact a team option.
0: Yeah, we thought that it wasn't as bad when it was a, a team option. And now the fact that it's a player option, I think it was initially a player option. Then Manny Navarro said it was a team option, the beat writer for the Heat. And now I guess it is, in fact, a player option, which uh, yeah. you know makes the contract worse again. <laughs> as a team option, and- I wouldn't have been as down on it.
1: And then the last thing was actually not a move necessarily but it was that they they didn't waive Wayne Ellington so they they were able to keep him and I I you know Miami we'll have to do our stuff later on but I mean I think they're going to be a solid playoff team in the East and that's pretty amazing considering they largely brought the gang back and they didn't make the playoffs last year
0: Another tidbit from the McRoberts, A.J. Hammonds trade, cash considerations, they paid the full $5.1 million to Dallas to get off of McRoberts' salary. They really only saved about you know $3 million versus stretching him, and but they needed every little bit of that money, I, I guess. It's a surprise to me, though, that if they're willing to give up the second rounder, that they also had to take back that Hammonds money. They did actually avoid stretching Hammonds, it sounds like, and they still fit in all these guys anyway which is a surprise that they wouldn't just stretch him. But I think actually, you know what? They might've been at the point with Hammonds where his stretching him wouldn't have helped because the, who would have just brought on an empty roster charge. Anyway, he was only making the minimums. So they wouldn't really save that much. That's probably why they didn't bother doing that. Um, so, yeah, but that's a lot of money for Dallas to, to get there, too, especially when Dallas, you know, taking on the money of Mick Roberts this year doesn't hurt their ambitions. They're over the cap anyway. They're not going to get close to the hard cap. And, and, in fact, they're not hard capped yet. They just took them into a trade exception. So that was, that was the beauty of having the trade exception as well because then they didn't have to get under the cap to fit in Mick Roberts. So now they can maintain their exceptions, uh, that trade exception from the Andrew Bogut-Nerland's Noel deal.
1: And they might actually use him, too.
0: Uh, well, he would have to actually be healthy for that, which I... I unfortunately don't expect he was once a valuable player three years ago that's why they signed him to the full mid-level during that critical summer of 2014 but i mean he basically has never been healthy in a heat uniform so i i wouldn't expect it at this point maybe he'll get there though dallas has a quality medical staff
1: so let's let's go to Memphis, a team that I'm still having a lot of trouble figuring out. They have lost zebo of course, and also Vince Carter, who both signed with the Kings, and their former coach Dave Yeager. They signed Ben McElmore to an amount that was more than the taxpayer middle level, so they were hard-capped, and then they signed Tyreek Evans for the bi- basically the amount of the biannual exception, so $3.3 million for one year. Tyreek Evans is a fine player and a fine value, but I just don't see where they're going.
0: Oh, I mean, I think they're just trying to compete without spending too much money. I mean, they definitely drew a line in the sand of how much they're willing to pay Zach Randolph. The Ben McLemore thing was kind of funny because they paid him like $10,000 more than the taxpayer mid-level would have been. But I think their thought was, we're just going to, for some of our rookies, they got, uh, they signed uh, Radi Zagorac, who I think was, was the number 35 pick last year, was playing in, in Serbia. So they wanted to use the MLE to get him for three years, um, which they wouldn't have. If they had got, just limited him to the taxpayer mid-level for McLemore, they wouldn't have been able to do that. They would have been out. So I think they always knew that they were going to go over anyway. So paying him the 5.2 didn't matter. It was just kind of funny that it was like an extra 10000 over what <laughs> the, they could have just done with the taxpayer MLE. And so they still have plenty of space left now below the hard cap, though they are at only about five million dollars over the cap is where I have them. They could still maybe bring back Tony Allen, who who is languishing in free agency right now. But I, I think this Evans signing to me, I like it because he just for one year at the BAE. Another another thing that would have hard capped them, by the way. Uh, so again, no criticism on the the Macklemore contract being a little bit higher. Evans, now I don't, I wouldn't necessarily want to go there because they don't have the greatest like medical record in Memphis. But just they needed someone else who could do something off the dribble Evans even could operate more as a backup point guard I mean you remember that a lot of the time in his career when he's been most successful he's done that so if he can just play make they get a little more shooting around him you know play him with like a Troy Daniels as well Wade Baldwin Andrew Harrison just not really there offensively and so getting another option who can do something off the pick and roll especially if Chandler Parsons can't get back to being a quality option which I think signs point to know. I'm I'm Assuming that he's not going to be any good until I see it from him with all his injury problems at, at this point, and to get that type of creation for that price, I, I think is is impressive. Good gamble. Maybe he ends up just not working out, but I, I think there's a lot of teams that kind of missed out on Evans and maybe should have offered a little bit more than this.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I'm not the biggest Tyreek fan in the world, but what he provides has value, and it provides and it's value specifically to Memphis because as we saw when Mike Conley wasn't on the floor last year, they had to figure out their offense to a to a big degree, and I think he can really help with that. and And yeah, I mean, that part of it makes sense for them. Their big man rotation is going to be, to talk about spacing, I mean, that's going to be a challenge for them with those spots, depending on how they use Chandler Parsons. But let's move on to another spacing challenge team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Minnesota Timberwolves took advantage, I guess, of Jamal Crawford getting bought out by the Atlanta Hawks. (laughs) He signed a two-year, $8.9 million deal with a player option, which he may or may not pick up. And Jamal Crawford provides... A similar thing, actually, to Tyreek Evans in terms of somebody who can create, but he pretty much creates for himself. And, I mean, it basically, since the Jimmy Butler trade, everything that Tibbs has done just doesn't make for a cohesive team in the way that I would have envisioned around Towns, Wiggins, and... Jimmy Butler well I thought Teague was the best option that they could have
0: gotten and I I like the Rubio trade as well those are the two biggest things that they've done but since then the Gibson signing to me again just going with two bigs spent a lot of money on him rather than getting someone who who can shoot and maybe hopefully defend again comparing Gibson and Patterson's contracts that's something that we've talked about I think that then this Crawford signing because they're basically out of space this is their room at level so now they're down to minimums essentially and they're going to have very little flexibility going Going forward and they'll probably even be limited by the tax if not next year than the year after Crawford just doesn't give them what they need they have three guys who are fantastic shot creators and they can probably have two of them on the floor at all time and they got teague they really got four guys who can create shots Crawford if you were looking for a spot up guy and it looks like cj miles was out of their price range although I would have liked to have rather gotten somebody else other than Taj Gibson and maybe gotten miles instead uh, um JJ Reddick would have been another option as well. I mean, I think they really wanted to go with Taj Gibson, but when you saw what Reddick got in Philly, maybe if they had offered Redick a little bit more than what they gave Gibson or given him a partial guarantee in a third year or something like that, he could have gone there. But Tibbs want, wants to play big, and I just, but Crawford is just so flammable defensively and also just has not been, his efficiency has been declining. And big surprise, he's like 37 now, you know, so giving him another two years. And this is the same mistake that the Clippers made to begin with of, hey, I, but the clippers were over a barrel last year they they had to bring everyone back they're trying to compete for a championship last year this is the last hurrah of the chris paul era so they felt like they had to give crawford that contract minnesota to me had other options other options who can defend it and the whole idea of like getting a taj gibbs is like all right our defense isn't good enough and then now you're going to play crawford who to me is totally redundant with three of the guys they already have and is worse defensively than any of them and not only that like that's even if you're getting like good jamal crawford right like but i don't think he's even good anymore like he's going to be below the level that he's been at and that's only going to continue he's probably going to pick up that player option next year too we'll see whether that ends up limiting their spending for next year just not good all, all the way around i really don't like that signing at all yeah, opportunity you- cost is too high
1: when you need a, a low usage, high defensive capability wing and you get Jamal Crawford, it, it generally doesn't look very good. Uh let's see. Oh, it's amazing that we've taken this long, but I think it's just because it wasn't a surprise. James Harden. Harden signed a it's it's always hard for me when you have an extension like this to do the full numbers, but so it's a four-year two hundred and twenty-eight million dollar extension, but not all of that two hundred and twenty-eight is new money because he was under contract for another two years. And so basically the short version of what happened here is last year, both Harden and and Russell Westbrook did renegotiation and extensions. But So normally that would actually make it so that they couldn't do a new deal this soon. But the league realized that wasn't really fair. So they gave both of them a special clause to say, you can renegotiate, you can extend earlier. This isn't a renegotiation, it's an extension. And so Harden actually took advantage of that before Westbrook, who may or may not do it, to get another four years at what will be the full maximum in the 2019-20 season
0: yeah and Harden I believe turns 29 this offseason so he's due 28 this year 30 next year had a player option which he will presumably decline for 32.7 in 2019-20 and that a great time for him to do this extension because the cap will go up to 108 that year is the projection and so that's why it's going to be so high and then he can get the full eight percent raises over the next four years so I mean so that's gonna I mean that's gonna start when he's 31 right like he'll be 31 during that season and that's going to get ugly at the end I mean it's going to be s- similar to that Kobe contract but I think having him locked up will help with maybe bringing Chris Paul back to next year and they want James Harden to spend his entire career in a Rockets uniform and be a Hall of Famer that kind of stuff has value uh, but to go that full distance right now I mean, he's going to be 34 35 making like I mean what are the numbers on that four years and like 220 million although uh, you know I'm not sure how much of that includes the existing money that's already on the contract. I haven't sat down and done the exact math uh, I have. on what that's going to be. Okay.
1: So it's, it's the, based on the current estimates, it's four years, 170, 169.3 is the new money. And then why you get the over okay. 200 is because he's owed 28.3 and then 30.4 for the next two years.
0: Yeah. Cause I was like, there's no way how he's going to be making like 53 million a year on this extension. Obviously. Right. Yeah. So, 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 so the last, yeah, so I'll, he's I'll gonna be the last two years at, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, I'll give you all of them since I have it. Uh, okay. 37.8 for the first year of the new extension, 40.824 for the second, 43.824 in the third and then 46.9 in the fourth. And of course, this is all dependent on where the cap actually ends up. If it drops like it has, you know, for this year, if it does that again, then he'll get a lot less money because it's it's still the it's the raw 35 percent of what the cap is. But it's a reasonable estimate for right now.
0: Yeah. And Harden, I'm of two minds on how he's going to age. I think he does, has not kept himself in the best of shape. I mean, If you go back and look at the way his body looked, you know, his first season in Houston and some of the dunks that he would have, I mean, now, obviously, you're always going Gonna age as you get into your late twenties, but to me, definitely could be a little bit more svelte than he is. And p- part of why he's able to draw fouls is he gets by guys and puts them in compromising positions and is able to get into their bodies. If that wanes, then you wonder how effective he's going to be. I mean, I don't see him. I mean, it's really only the best, like ten players in NBA history, who were really able to be superstar type of players after age thirty-two or thirty-three. um You know, we're seeing that with LeBron now, Kareem, Michael Jordan. You know. There are not many. Carl Malone and John Stockton, although that was a different time period where the league wasn't as strong. Just during those their particular aging in their 30s so they're just not that many guys historically no matter how good you are and i don't think of harden as i mean i think he's like you know fourth fifth sixth best player in the league right now i i don't think of him as someone who's gonna like that's gonna be a good contract but you know i mean they're they're uh they're all in on now in houston and that's fine i think that's they're a really good team i understand it but but we will be looking back on on that harden contract when it, when he is at that age as probably like okay this is kind of an albatross the way i mean that is six years from now man that is just so long from now
1: and remember contracts used to be that long that's one of the changes in expectations that we've had over the last couple cbas all
0: right we'll be right back
1: after this word
0: from cgeek SeatGeek is the best way to buy and sell tickets for two reasons. Number one, they aggregate ticket selling sites together. So you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites anymore. It's all just one click on the app. You get them all in front of you. And then number two, they rank every ticket based on value. So if you find the section that you want to sit in, you don't have to worry about, oh yeah, I'm three rows behind, but it's $10 cheaper, you know, which is, is a better deal. SeatGeek helps you out with that. So it used to be a 20 minute process to buy tickets. It doesn't take nearly as long now you can get it done in like 90 seconds two minutes and 30 seconds and find the seat that you want show up at the arena and it's backed by their 100 guarantee so you can shop with peace of mind on SeatGeek and of course my listeners can get a discount $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase via that familiar cap space code which of course we talk about all the time on the program that's the SeatGeek app using the cap space code to get $20 off your first purchase Let's go to the golden state warriors now zaza Pachulia, as was thought returned for one year 3.5 million the most they could pay him under the non-bird exception since he'd only been on the team for one year it was 120 percent of his prior salary which is the room exception last year at the point they signed him they were had used all of their exception and so that was the most that they could pay anybody in the entire league, essentially. And Petrucci will be back, presumably, again to start at center. They also signed Jordan Bell, but were unable to sign him for longer than two years, just because he—they had no way to do so. They spent all of their taxpayer mid-level on Nick Young instead.
1: Right, and so Bell is playing in summer league now. But having that third year on him, because he still would have been a restricted free agent, would have been worthwhile. They would have had full bird rights as opposed to early bird in the arenas provision. But we'll see how much he plays I mean that's going to be an open question and now they hit all they have left for minimums whether that's enough to bring back JaVale McGee or wherever they want to go with their other spots is we'll have to see their opponent in the NBA finals the Cleveland Cavaliers signed Jeff Green sounds like it's a one-year minimum contract though they do still have their full tax mid-level theoretically available it sounds like it's for the minimum and I, I was snarking on this signing when it happened just because Jeff Green is another guy that I don't think is very useful against the Warriors. But he is a very good signing for the value they got. You know, if he's a minimum guy, he's better than that. But I just don't think that he can be a, a central piece in the most important series. And that's in line with what Cleveland has done for the last two years.
0: Yeah, I mean, it could be useful as a guy who can match up a little bit with all these combo forwards that Boston has now. The theory of what Jeff Green was supposed to be would be very useful, but that's been a theory now for since he was drafted in 2007. Green and corver they're only two additions. Green making the minimum. Corver, of course, uh, $7.3 million this year. Maybe it's a little bit less. I don't know how the exact distribution of that three-year $21 million with the, the partial guarantee on the end is distributed. But now, uh, Dan Gilbert, still with only 12 players uh, as well. Cavaliers, $17 million into the repeater tax, and that means they will be paying $50 in tax and a team salary plus repeater tax of 186 million this year i just don't think that they spent it very efficiently i think i mean if you look at like patrick patterson who would have been a great addition i think for them or even someone else who can just defend a little bit more on the wing and maybe even like a cj miles would have gone there for the tax premium level since it's more uh, i like him better than corver at least in terms of his ability to defend because yeah i think corver just we talked about this before for three years and 20 i'm sorry it was 22 million that's seven million when you think about the opportunity costs there in Cleveland that they may be limited again from adding guys because now they're at the point like if they use their full tax pyramid level that would bump them up to from 186 million in team salary plus repeater tax to 211 million it would cost them an extra 20 million bucks just in tax plus the 5 million of the signing so you think it's pretty unlikely that they're going to go there Cavs now looking close to one of the most expensive payrolls in NBA history. Same thing with the Warriors, where they're at right now. They, thankfully for them, are not in the repeater tax, but they are looking at, if they fill out a another minimum contract, depending on how they structure Andre Iguodala, my understanding is that that is going to be starting at the lowest possible number uh which would be 14.6 million they're gonna be you know, about 170 million dollars or so in team salary plus tax for the warriors so they're definitely spending uh, we do have to at least note that toronto a team that's probably not a contender the tax they are a big market but the tax did affect them but certainly cleveland not a big market but certainly has a big spending owner and golden state deterred by the tax certainly but uh, not going to meaningfully affect them this year, in part due to the largesse of Kevin Durant, who took obviously 10, 10 million less than he could have demanded had he wanted to.
1: Yeah, that's certainly a worthwhile point to make. Another quick note: the Bulls pulled the qualifying offer for Joffrey Laverne, making him oh, wait, an unrestricted. are
0: you? Did you just like have a few tequila shots in celebration of that, or or actually what would be? A, I guess it would be a couple of shots of Grey Goose. Uh, yeah, good. good French that would be. Vodka. That
1: would be. That would be closer. But and and Sean. Had that several teams are showing interest. I don't know if those teams are in North America. Maybe they are.
0: (laughs) yeah the, the the mexican league is uh is pretty well good. i i
1: would i i mean i just i i am not a big fan of Joffrey Laverne, but that's that's just me and
0: yeah you, you do have a pretty visceral hatred for him I, I mean i i agree that he's not a guy who you know you definitely don't want to play in the four he's not very good defensively i mean he, he could be like you know a, a fifth as a fifth big man he's not bad but i agree i mean i, I would have pulled the qualifying offer too, which would have been uh not even that much it, it, i think it was like something along the lines of like 1.6 7 million or something like that. Uh, Maybe it was a little bit higher than that, but not much. Yeah.
1: And then the last team... We we talked oh, wait, wait, about wait, wait. Well,
0: can, can we talk about can we talk about how that trade is now basically Oh yeah. They just got Cameron Payne back and Cameron Payne not exactly impressing in summer league so far and they brought in Chris Dunn theoretically over the top of him. Uh although there will be an open competition at point guard, but by the way. Uh here's your reminder too that the Bulls could have drafted Dennis Smith with that pick, uh who uh no, but we should talk about what the actual yeah,
1: tr- what the trade was.
0: The trade was trade.
1: Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott oh, yeah. for Cameron Payne
0: and and a second round pick don't forget the second round pick that they threw in for no reason because they just love to throw in picks for no reason when they're already losing the trade
1: yeah that's right they couldn't even get they couldn't even get 3 million for that <laughs>
0: uh yeah so and, and now the fact that like they traded for chris dunn so they're probably like oh we can't draft dennis smith and dennis smith of course is looking awesome i am i bet trumpet that by the way because the, the, after these two awesome games that he's had who knows this could be the high watermark of his career so i'm gonna congratulate myself for having him number three on my board uh, right now and uh just in case he, he starts to drop off for, for now for the rest of his career i, I will take my laurels at, at this point uh, we need to figure out
1: there. we need to figure out some sort of acronym or word to use for they could have drafted Dennis Smith and didn't just for future reference so we can do that just like <laughs> I I should have done with Rudy Gobert back in the day but it's yeah I mean we'll we'll see where that goes but a team that did not have the chance to pass on Dennis Smith the Atlanta Hawks we talked about how they bought out Jamal Crawford I have not yet seen terms on how much he gave back if anything um cuz he had not only this year with for about 14 million but he had a partial guarantee for next year but they yeah, signed million. Mike Muscat- Next year yeah mike muscala two years 10 million second year a player option which is i think a wonderful contract for him
0: oh it is a player option on the second year yes, I didn't, it is that didn't come across my desk yeah, yeah okay let me uh mark that down in my sheet right now uh but yeah that, that's they did well there muscala's cap hold is, is the minimum if they have any other business that they want to do even with Crawford's full salary on the books they still would have 19 million in space that'll drop to about 14 million once Mescala signs but they can wait for a little bit here if there's anything else that they want to do I, I would expect them though to just go into the season with a fair amount of space there I mean what do you think
1: would be a fair
0: buyout for Crawford by the way just it, it uh we'll see where it comes down but I, I'm curious what you think would be fair
1: I would have been asking him for like five six million back yeah I don't think they're going to get that I think it'll be more like two or three yeah maybe i mean a
0: similar situation to this was like the kevin martin one a few years ago where i think he basically was owed you know the the rest of one year of seven million and then he had seven million i think he ended up giving like three million back which he took a haircut on actually he went to san antonio and then never played again so uh, with crawford he he obviously did much better Maybe it was known already to Crawford that he had this offer for the room exception out there in Minnesota. It was said in the reporting about Crawford that the money was important to him because he did take a little bit of a haircut on this. I mean, I think certainly at a minimum getting rid of that $3 million guaranteed for next year. It would be something that would be fair and then maybe you know another million or two off of that but we'll see i mean i don't i don't know what the uh the hawks seemed like they really wanted to do him a solid as i had said i thought he actually had some value to them as a potential expiring contract later in the year but you know they want to be viewed as a good organization crawford thanked them on twitter and he's one of the more popular players in the league so you don't want him like talking shit about your organization i guess
1: so, so why it don't time don't we, for a little yeah. round of a little round of who's going to pay X.
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, I think we got to start with, with KCP. Right, he's by far the best remaining free agent on the market now, unrestricted, age twenty four, quality starting shooting guard. Um. Obviously, he probably wanted the Max from Detroit. That's part of why he's not there anymore. And I think also for De- Detroit could still sign and trade him. Potentially, they still have his... He's unrestricted, but they still have his cap hold on the books. So that they would be able to do that and sign and trade him away. Although they are hard cap. So actually, no, I don't think they could come to think of it. They wouldn't be able to fit his new contract in under the hard cap before trading him away. So never mind, they, he, they could not do that. But yeah, I mean, Brooklyn now seemed like the most logical suitor. They've made this Carroll trade, so they're pretty low on space. Where do you see as a landing spot for
1: him? Maybe it's just wishful thinking, and it could be just that, but Philadelphia can make this happen. And the easiest way, there, there are kind of a couple different machinations they could do, but the one that I like the most is trying to find a partner, and there should be a couple, for Julia Locafor and or Nick Stauskas. Use that money plus what they've been saving for Robert Covington to give to him, and then Either try to unload Amir Johnson's contract later, or just stretch him, you know, later on in the year, and then use that savings to pay Robert Covington. Uh, it a lot of it involves communication. You know, they need to know what Covington wants, they need to know what KCP wants. So, and I don't have that information, so it might not be possible. But I think it should be. And all of a sudden, then they become a really fascinating team moving forward. Also, that can put less pressure on Markel Fultz because they would have two starting caliber guards who are both better off the ball. And you might go, oh, that doesn't make any sense, except. When you're playing Ben Simmons,
0: well, they do have Reddick, who presumably was promised he would start at the two with his $23 million if they bring in KCP. That wouldn't be the case. But the beauty of KCP is the Reddick's only under contract for one year and KCP is a perfect fit Their Avery Bradley is really probably the only other guy and they still have plenty of space left in future years, but I think it would be to get a guy like this. But this is where the approach from Brian Colangelo compared to Sam Hinkie. Now, obviously, the Sixers are ready to, to get good and his Hinkie would have changed his approach, but no way Sam Hinkie signed Jared Bayless to a three-year $27 million deal, which I thought quietly was one of the worst last offseason. The thought, was he could play off the ball next to Simmons, that's fine. Hurt his wrist, so it looks worse than it was, but still, he's a, a mediocre player. There's another one of those contracts that we criticized last year for just being like, hey, you're overpaying for a backup quality player here. Is he really that much better than someone you could get you know, on a much shorter-term deal? Uh, and also, just you could have said, hey, they could have paid him more money for one or two years. The Amir Johnson contract, again, I mean, look, like Aaron Baines, probably a, a superior player to Johnson, I think you would say, uh, close to him got one year and $4 million from the Celtics. Now, that's the Celtics, but they severely misjudged the market on Johnson. And so now they basically have $20 million in bad money on their books, despite the fact that they're a rebuilding team. Hey, sure would be nice to just be able to offer KCP $20 million right now, or just have some other guys in there and you have 15 and then you could get off of some money. But I agree with you, trading Okafor and Stauskas away for nothing, that would open up another basically $9 million in space for them. That would leave them at twenty four they are saving that money for the Covington renegotiation extension I presume which they cannot officially do until November 15th but and they do need Covington as part of their future they would have full bird rights on him but the idea of just letting him get to free agency where he could get a monster offer they can get the discount on him in future years by renegotiating and extending him if you really had to make a choice between either renegotiating and extending Covington or getting KCP if you had to decide between one of those two things I would prioritize Covington there uh and they may have a deal already worked out as well but I agree with you. I mean, if they, even if I had to stretch Amir Johnson right after paying him, I mean, if, if they did that and they got rid of Okafor and they got rid of Stauskas, they could basically get like 18, $17, 18000000 on top of what they are saving for Covington with that $15 million. And, and that might get it done on a longer-term deal, especially if it was like a 2 plus 1 or something like that. Uh, I would do that because I think he's just such a good fit there. There's no one else in the market. I don't see a more efficient way for them to spend their money next year either so i guess there's a little bit of a concern of like all right we're locking in here a little bit too early to this team but i think this is just a fabulous opportunity and who knows what kcp would take but i mean i don't think there's even a team out there that could pay him like 18 or 19 to start at this point maybe atlanta but they've got a ton of two guards
1: yeah atlanta's another team that could do it i mean brooklyn could still clear i think i have it at about 17 if they really wanted to um and they could also just move some of their other stuff
0: but yeah, but but clearly, if Brooklyn wanted him, they would have taken. Just made yeah. the offer to him that that was necessary. Maybe he doesn't even want to be in Brooklyn. Who knows? The Lakers still seventeen million in space for one and, year, and that's and so, what I
1: think the fallback should be. Yeah, because he would start there. He could be a nice part of it, get some real shine, and then go back out. I'm not sure that'll work. But if you can't get the offer from Philly, I think that's the place to go
0: yeah the only other team with the type of cap space that we're talking about is phoenix they still have the 25 million but they obviously have Devin booker and i think they, they still need more of a traditional point guard next to booker i think defensively kcp would be a great fit and then just kind of running booker at the point the way they do it james harden but booker doesn't have anywhere near the type of vision or or ability to get to the basket that james harden does so yeah i, I don't see a fit there in phoenix they probably would also just piss off booker as well um so yeah i mean maybe it'll just be the lakers on like a one-year 17 million dollar deal uh because the lakers obviously want to hold up in their space it'll be ironic we'll see i mean if he goes there maybe they strike out in free agency and end up just keeping him around next year which might be good for them as well and he also i mean the other thing about him going there is it would just make them a lot better this year so we'll see what happens taking a one year 17 million dollar deal is probably not what they wanted to do but because they kind of got messed over by the restricted free agent process this year and again I mean this is one of those things like if you make a qualifying offer you should not be able to like pull it without the player's consent although I guess he would have consented so it doesn't really matter but it's uh, yeah so that's actually a bad point so never mind we're running out of steam here (laughs) we are a little bit but let's let's
1: talk about a few other guys that I think are interesting one of them was kind of buried in the Memphis discussion, Jermichael Green. There are not many places left for him to go.
0: No, and we'll see what what the offer is for Memphis uh, as well. And him taking the qualifying offer, it's very low for him. He was making the minimum last year. He will have made the starter criteria, but still, you know, it's like in the $3 million range or something like that. I think his qualifying offer and he's 27. He's got to get paid now if there's a multi-year offer for him out there with Memphis, maybe he has to end up taking that. But they do actually need him on the team so he can kind of hold out a, a little bit, especially with Randolph being gone like they don't even really have any other fours who are decent right now unless you're going to go with like a Brandon Wright or Deontay Davis or Darrell Martin or something like that uh, Plumlee in the same uh, similar situation here no market for him at all uh, we'll see maybe he just takes the qualifying offer Miritich we discussed also probably maybe a little bit more of a market for Miritich but again like he hasn't gotten an offer he hasn't gotten close so all these guys Len looks like these guys are all just going to come down to the oh yeah well I'll take the qualifying offer no I'm really going to take the qualifying offer you better up your offer I'm really going to take the qualifying offer oh it's almost October 1st and the qualifying offer is going to expire well uh, I guess I'll just still uh, not sign anything anyway and hold out you know you're although it's not holding out because you're a restricted free agent but it's uh, we're we're going to see a lot of this dance here for the rest of the summer I think with all these guys
1: right and one of the challenges with what's remaining is that so you have Philly who's probably not going to you know maybe they spend it on KCP but he's really the only guy that they would theoretically be interested in Atlanta we don't exactly know what they want to do so they could go after somebody but I don't think they're going to be doing a ton of favors to agents by giving these guys more lucrative contracts that they can match. And then Phoenix is still figuring out what they want to do. So, like, it's not a great group of teams remaining to try to leverage. And the other guy that could really hurt is Nerlens Noel. But I think Nerlens has enough leverage with Dallas to still get his deal. And that's basically what happened in the mock off season. I think Atlanta ended up helping out there. But I think that with Nerlens, he's a big enough part of their future that the negotiation is different with him.
0: Yeah. Nerlens, he wants to get paid like these. Centers did last year he's better than a lot of those guys but the, the reality is of course that the market is different so if i if i had to ballpark it i'm guessing they're probably offering him like 14 million a year and he probably wants like 18 or 19 and there's nothing really and their response was all right go out show us what your market is we will pay market value we want to have you back as dan feldman would uh would say but so, so we'll see what happens there too i mean they, this is another situation where of course they need him they want to have him in there working with with dennis smith he's their Rim protecting center. They don't have a ton at center behind him. So uh, I I think uh, all of this is going to just kind of take a while. And for Dallas, it's important to get him at a low number because they have these cap space aspirations for next summer.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. And let's go through a couple so another guy that i've liked for such a long time but it doesn't seem like the market's there is jonathan simmons i'm guessing he goes back to the spurs on a reasonable deal but it seems like they always there's the serendipity for the spurs is going to be there again with him
0: yeah I mean, there's talk of like something around the lines like a 25 million dollar offer although maybe that's just what we did from the mock-off season i can't even remember anymore at this point um but yeah i mean we haven't really seen anybody having reported interest at this point again of the teams he at least is not a big so but but of the teams that have space still i'm not really sure where he fits necessarily unless you're kind of viewing him as a three the lakers can only offer a one-year deal a restricted free agent offer sheet has to be at least two so they're out the bulls have zach Levine, uh, and
1: i could i could see brooklyn throwing an offer at him
0: yeah i mean is he, he's but he's 27 he's not going to move the needle enough to me in brooklyn I mean, they've been they deserve a ton of credit by the way i think for the way that they have stuck to the long-term view have uh, obtained assets and not tried to go for the quick fix. I think that's really been impressive to me. And uh, Brooklyn's—they've also got Russell. They've got Lynn. Uh, so I, I don't see them necessarily Simmons being a fit there, just due to his age. You know, if he were twenty-five, I think you there would there'd be a lot more interest in him. And also, his shooting is a question mark still. You know, it really waxes and wanes with him. So yeah, I don't see the suitor out there for him either. So he may return to San Antonio. I, mean, I think he has experienced some frustration there in terms of not playing, playing, not playing behind guys like kyle anderson who are worse than him uh, so i certainly would understand that frustration but he may just not have a choice here and, and yeah. he can't even taking the qualifying offer for him he'd still be restricted next year right he's in the same situation as alan williams so not a ton of good options for the 27 year old this is another one of these ones where it's like if you're this old uh, being in restricted free agency is just is so unfair
1: Right, this and is this
0: what because it's your one chance to get a deal if you're you're drafted in the first round, okay, you know, if you're twenty four years old, you got another chance to get a deal in unrestricted free agency restricted and you're a, a huge asset, right like someone like this, if you're brought in at age twenty five like there isn't this expectation that some guy who's on his first contract at twenty five is going to be some huge asset where it's like fair to restrict his market
1: yeah I think that's a, a very good point and th- I don't think we need to go through these guys but I think it's three other ones that are, are notable for me one Kay. Derek Rose
0: yeah yeah where the hell is I mean it sounds like he, he's had a few of these meetings that have basically kind of been like courtesy meetings it, it seems like and I'm not sure where, where he goes I uh San Antonio is out of money essentially they just have like the BAE is probably the most that they could offer I still think even if it were for the minimum if I were him I would just go there uh and maybe he'll wait for a point guard injury that that could happen but yeah n- not a ton of, of market for him even for teams just with their exceptions now at, at this point really yeah. And who needs a backup point guard still
1: yeah that's true because cleveland signed uh calderon so i guess their intention is that he's going to be their backup him or k felder you
0: know, atlanta could use maybe someone else unless i'm forgetting someone that they brought in
1: well, yeah i mean delaney is, is fine but
0: yeah but but i think that they they wanted to do a culture reset that's why they got rid of howard so they're not going to bring in someone like Ro. i mean i think rose it might be reaching the point here where unless it's a team that has a, a clear need for his skill set this year, he's almost viewed as just like too much of a distraction to really be worth it.
1: Yeah, that could certainly be true. And who knows, maybe he'll do a thing for Minnesota or something if Tibbs will take a flyer on him, if that's if that's where it's going, I even though I agree with you that San Antonio will be a better one. And I was very uncomfortable with Philly declining the, basically letting go of Gerald Henderson, who had a partial guarantee of a million dollars, which we didn't know until basically it happened. He now is... On an empty market, too.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a, we could probably save this for later, too, because uh, we're, we're getting pretty long here. But just running through some of the, the key free agents sure. available at some of these positions. Dwayne Dedman's still the best center on the market. I'm not sure where his market is. I mean, I think he may have wanted just more years than Boston was willing to give him. Uh, but I'm not sure where his market is that he could get more than Boston. But he thinks he's getting more than, than Boston was able to offer. Baines, uh, Pau Gasol is still out there, presumed to be returning to the Spurs. Not sure. I mean, he'll probably they'll just agree on some contract with him with his uh, within his uh, non-bird exception uh, since they it looks like San Antonio are probably going to be operating over the cap. Andrew Bogut also out there as well. Not reliable, but maybe a guy with a little bit of upside. Ursan Ilyasova, Jonas Jerebko, Mo Space, Willie Reed at the center positions among some of the guys left. Monte Ginobili, if he's, you know, presumably we'll go back to the Spurs. Henderson, you mentioned. Tony Allen, mute Tabo Cephalosius. So there are a lot of these kind of defensive specialist guys who are limited offensively that I think could help some of these teams as well. Um, and then at the point guard market, Rondo and Rose, Darren Williams. I mean, wow, that's a, being a good point guard in uh, 2011 doesn't work out for you too well in 2017 apparently uh and then you get down into ty lawson brandon jennings ramon sessions tyler ennis still out there as well i mean if i'm the magic i would have much rather signed tyler ennis for that salary that they gave shelvin Mack. he probably would have taken it he's unrestricted right now
1: yeah and and do that and i've said before that if if sergio rodriguez is available and they can't get kcp i think he's a logical fit for the lakers Yeah.
0: yeah although rodriguez you imagine would just go back to Europe unless they can but but they have enough money to offer him some more a little bit but yeah uh and the Lakers really can't take on any bad money yeah they could with that 17 million
1: if KCP if KCP is out of it I think what they could do is go with Sergio and then Gerald Henderson Shabazz somebody like that go with a one and a two that makes their team pretty deep at those spots all right in
0: in terms of space I think we talked about most all the teams that, that have space left but just to run through Boston is pretty much done except for minimums Atlanta. We talked about them about 19 million, depending on what happens with Crawford. That'll be reduced once Muscala signs, but they have a small cap hold for now. Brooklyn, 16 million. Charlotte has made one transaction. They are probably you know done, except for a minimum or two due to the tax. Chicago, 21 million in space. That will reduce, however, once Cristiano Felicio signs his deal, then they'll be down to about 13 million or so. So that space is disappearing. And then when if if and when Miritich signs. Then they'll be like pretty close to out of space, I think, depending on how much. Although, no, that's not true. I mean, if he signs for 15 million, they'll be like, you know, down to about 7 million or so. uh Doesn't look like he's going to get to that number. However, then Cleveland, they're done. Dallas still has their exceptions. uh Denver has about 4 million in space left to work with. That includes Plumlee's Capital. They also have their room exception left still. Detroit uh, could still use their BAE. They've got room now to, to do that. Golden State is done, except for minimums. Houston, there was some talk actually that they are going to try and trade for Carmelo, but doesn't seem to be a ton of momentum for that deal. At this point, but Houston is really down to minimums aside from that. Uh, I guess they still have their room except. No, they they stayed over the cap, right? So they've, I guess, got the BAE, but I think they don't want to spend that because they want to maintain some flexibility under the hard cap if they need to add more salary.
1: Yeah, and I think that they could also, the flexibility under the hard cap, and then also that could be good for the buyout market, which they might want.
0: Yeah, Indiana, they're looking pretty close to done now. It looks like they got about six million or so left uh, with fourteen players at the moment. Still got Seraphin and uh, George Yang who suffered an injury in. Either in Orlando or before beforehand, I can't remember,, uh, but they've got one more roster slot left. Uh, they stretched Monte Ellis again, I might have wanted to just like take that haircut this year, but th- they were able to get Corey Joseph probably could have fit him in somehow anyway with some of their nine guarantees. Well,
1: with the sign and trade functionality, I think yeah. they could I think they could have you. Yeah
0: yeah that's true too right yeah so they didn't just take him into cap space they made the trade right um other interesting teams here going forward clippers basically done lakers we mentioned they're 17 million memphis about done except for minimums a little bit of space left maybe under their emily but that's gonna like 2 million or so so not pretty much miami they still have their room exception they haven't sent anyone to that right
1: no not that i've heard
0: okay yeah the, um Yeah, I I
1: would think they might try to bring back Babbitt, um, which they could either do for the minimum or they could use some of that.
0: Yeah, they did, I think, have to relinquish his cap hold in their moves as well. New Orleans, they tried to give their MLE to Nick Young. He didn't take it. They definitely need some more help on the wing still. Knicks are done except for the room exception. OKC okay, done except for minimums Orlando about 9 million left in space Philly we talked about them Phoenix talked about them Portland uh, has not made a single transaction yet is that right
1: yeah since the draft yeah so the, if, I mean I actually thought of them as a rose destination for for a brief second just because the, I, I still like them having another guy who can create, but I don't think he's the right guy. You want somebody who's more low usage, who can shoot, and that's not Derrick Rose.
0: Sacramento, $7.2 million in space left after the Vince Carter signing, but I think they're at 15 players, so they're probably done for now. San Antonio, we talked about them. Toronto uh, as well. Toronto still has their MLE and their BAE, although they are only about $6 million below the apron and probably will try to get below the tax as well. They're right about there. Utah, they have... Still, because Joe Ingalls has a small capital of only four million utah still has about 11 million in space to work with here 12 players on the roster but not really a clear target for them either
1: well and how are you feeling about dia coming back because they still they still have a decision to make there if they want to
0: yeah that's true and they traded away trey Lyles, so he's probably actually could give them some minutes still uh, at the four
1: i think they'll bring him so yeah
0: maybe they yeah at this point maybe they just will do that Uh, otherwise they could use another wing perhaps but uh, with the way donovan mitchell is playing they're gonna he'll be firmly in their rotation Dante Exum has looked solid in summer league as well but you know for a third year guy going into his fourth year he's more experienced than just about anyone in summer league so that probably doesn't mean much and then Washington is probably done except for minimums all right we done here
1: yeah, I think we are.
0: Wow, that was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will see you at the games today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget about our sponsors, SeatGeek. Use the Capspace code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And Ball and Branch, same thing, Capspace code gets you $50 off your purchase there, free US shipping. We're on two days a week now, so we'll probably be back later in the week if there are some more transactions uh, to talk about those. Then. And you can also buy our merchandise. Ah, yes, thank you. And subscribe on Patreon as well. In fact, that's the next thing that that I have to do is uh, tweet out all these salary sheets for Patreon, patreoncom slash LaRue. and uh, yeah, and I'll do another, I'll tab. do
1: another airport AMA on Thursday when I fly back to the Bay Area.
0: Awesome! All right, that's enough promotion. Talk to y'all next time.
1: At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house; it's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.